Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, so glad that you guys are here today. Um, this morning's message, how many of you have, have heard, how many of you know what the term FOMO, F-O-M-O, stands for? Anyone heard that? Oh, we got a few people, hands up. FOMO is it's it's a sensation now on on like social media and it stands for the fear of missing out. This fear that maybe better things are happening to other people than to you. Uh, one definition put it this way: it's the fear of missing out refers to the feeling or perception that others are having more fun, living better lives, or experiencing better things. And. I, I think of it in terms of, you know, people, people for fear of missing out, you know what, I don't know when something amazing is going to happen on a Friday night, but it just in case it's this one, I won't ever stay home. And they're out there trying to, to be wherever it is when something happens, and they're just constantly motivated to do other things and, and to, to get out there and just, just don't want to miss it. And most of the time, it doesn't happen. But they're going to be there in case it does. And I got to thinking about in church, and I realized, you know, there are a lot of people, and I know that this isn't what the hashtag refers to, but I think there are a lot of people who feel that way about their, their purpose and their calling in God. Like they have this fear that they have missed out. Like they didn't achieve it. There are other people living better, funner, more fulfilled, more purpose-driven lives than they are and wondering why that happens. And I've shared with you before that Emily and I feel like, like fulfilling God's purpose for our lives and helping this church, indiv the individuals within this church as well as the, this church as a body to fulfill its purpose is one of our main callings. And we, we go back around and on a regular basis, we have it strategically planned out that we will talk about how to equip ourselves to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. That's something that we do on a regular basis. Today, we're going to continue on that. And today, I want to talk about that fear that we've missed it. Because I, I hear a lot of people say, I believe God has great things for me. But. Like so often, it comes with but. I believe that God's got great things for me, but. I blew it. I did this. Look at me. I'm, you know, so old now. There's so many different reasons. Some people say, oh, I, I, God had great plans for me, but I got into drugs and alcohol. But I committed this crime and I've got a record now. But you know what? I had this failure in my family. Now I'm divorced. But I, I think I married the wrong person. But I missed the opportunity. I had this opportunity. Someone offered me an opportunity, and at the time I said no, and now I realize I should have, and if I would have just taken that opportunity, then my life would be totally better, but it's not because I didn't, and I now I can't. And they just have this fear that they've missed it out. Now, first of all, I want to establish something. Is it possible to miss God's purpose? There is an extreme sovereignty belief that says everything that happened is exactly what had to happen. 
everything. That no matter what I do, if, if, if I tripped this morning, God established it from the beginning of time. And every single thing that happens to me. So when something bad happens, they're like, well, glad I got that over with. This belief that no matter what happens, it's going to happen exactly in the, the best, greatest plan of God's. And if we have that perspective, it's a dangerous territory to be in because we begin to think that if everything has to happen the way it has to happen, then it doesn't matter what I choose. It doesn't matter if I obey. It doesn't matter if I strive to fulfill my calling. If God wants me to fulfill my calling, he will. Famously, the, father of, of who's the man who's considered the father of modern missions, they called him Brother Andrew, and I'm at a blank for his last name at the moment, but he went before the church council in Europe asking to be sent to the east on missions. And they famously told him, if God wants them to be saved, he'll save them himself. He doesn't need your help. And that mindset that nothing we do matters because it's all preset is dangerous. I'm going to read some verses. Matthew 23, 37. It says, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. God desired to gather them together, and they were unwilling. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for them, not having been baptized by John. Think about that for a second. Who did he just say rejected God's purposes for them? The Pharisees. We've talked about them before. They're like the supervillains of the New Testament. Like, you realize there was another plan God had, a purpose for them that wasn't just to be the supervillains? But he says, you rejected my purposes for you. Think about that for a second. I mean, oftentimes we read the Bible stories and we're like, well, that's the way it had to happen. But did it? The Pharisees rejected God's purpose for him. Samson was anointed and called by God to lead the people. And he had a problem gambling and womanizing and he, he went off and he disobeyed everything that he was told? Did it have to happen that way? Was that the only way that his life could possibly unfold? What if, I like this one, what if Moses, who was raised in the... the the palace with the leaders of Egypt, trained to be a leader. What if he had not, like, jumped the gun and killed that Egyptian soldier? Did God have a different way that that was going to roll out? Now, here's what's interesting. Did God achieve his purpose anyway? Yes. But we have a role to play. 
If, if you struggle, if you're struggling with, wait a minute, are you, are you telling me that there are things that happen that aren't what God most wanted to happen, but it happened anyway? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Look in 1 Timothy 2.3. It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires how many? Say that with me. All. all. Say it again. All. all. This brings me back to a Bible class I had in 10th grade. Maybe it was 9th grade or 8th grade. I don't know. Somewhere in early high school. We had a Bible teacher, great guy, but he came from a school of thought where everything has to happen and, and he believed in, in predestination and that you know God said duck, duck, goose at the beginning of time and if you're a duck, you're going to be a duck and if you're a goose, well, you got no choice. And, and I read that scripture. He, was, he brought that up in class and I raised my hand and I said, well, what about this? And, and I he, I read that verse. It says, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? And he said, well, I guess that what depends on what you think the word all means. And some kid from the back, you know how high school classes are. One for Josh, zero for Mr. Myers. <clears throat> all means all. God desires. But we recognize not everyone chooses. So there is... There, there, it is possible to make choices that delay, that put off, or that, that set aside God's purpose. I'm not here to say everyone's purpose is automatically fulfilled. But I have good news. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He works for the good. See, when we do something that may not have been on the, most, the path of least resistance towards God's purpose, think about Moses. I love the story of Moses for this. Because Moses was set up, I mean, he was set up. Do you realize how well he was set up to lead? Like, he was in the palace. He was perfectly set up. And God had put in him a desire to see the Israelites liberated and freed and, and, and a righteous indignation at seeing them treated unjustly, un, unjustly. And one day, the Bible says he's out there and he sees this Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew slave. And that righteous indignation that was in him for a purpose kind of splashed over and he... I say, jump the gun. He was called to deliver the, Egypt, the, the, the Hebrews, but not one at a time. But he jumped in. He killed that slave, or the soldier. The Egyptian soldier then buries him and thinks maybe he got away with it. He becomes a wanted man. He has to flee. The, the positioning that he had in the palace, poof, gone. He went from perfectly set up to the opposite of perfectly set up. And it seems obvious that, that Moses kind of gave up. Like, he went out there, 
says for 40 years. He was 40 when this happened. He spent another 40 years there. You know, all the stuff about Moses leading the Israelites, you realize he was already 80? So he's out there living life thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to keep adding to my flocks of sheep over here and, and this is what it's going to be. And God comes back around and he has the whole burning bush incident. And, and remember, and Moses is like arguing with God when God says, hey, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. He says, but, but, but I can't talk. And we've shared this before. It's one of my favorite verses. God responds, who made your mouth? Why? Because God says, I know who you are. I know what you can do. I know what you can't do. And I know what you need my help to do. So if I'm calling you to do this, don't you think I got you covered? And so he calls Moses to go back. And from being perfectly set up to being perfectly not set up, God still used Moses. Now, he's out there, he's 40 years a shepherd, all the connections that he had back in Egypt, all the, the, the ins and outs that he had, they're 40 years old. Like, gone. But God still used him. God restored. God redeemed his calling. Where did I, I lost my spot here? Isaiah 38, verse 1. This, this verse is key. It says, And in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amez, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Who, who's about to say something? Who? The Lord. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Anybody got that one embroidered on a pillow? <laughs> you are going to die. You will not recover. This is what God said to him. Isaiah 38, verse 1. Now, verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember how I have walked before you in faithfully and wholeheartedly devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then in verse 4 it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go tell Hezekiah. That is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of King Assyria and I will defend this city. What I want you to see there is that God responded to Hezekiah. Sometimes we get this idea, well, God, if you want to use me, if you're going to do something in my life, I guess I'm just kind of waiting around for it to happen. And, you know, that'd be nice. You know, and then someone's like, well, you know, just what, what are you called to do? What's well, someday I'll find out. Someday it'll happen to me, and then I'm just going to do the thing that God's got for me, and it's going to just kind of happen. But God responds to us. 
God engages with us. He prophetically declared that Hezekiah would die. What did God say? You will die. You will not recover. And then Hezekiah stepped out. He repented. <coughs> Excuse me. Could I get a water? Um, he repented, and then God changed the trajectory of his life, added 15 years. Hezekiah had made a mistake. God had said, this mistake will cost you your life. And then God, Hezekiah repented, and then God said, okay, 15 more years. Oh, and by the way, I'll redeem you, I'll, or I'll, I'll rescue you, you're good. I mean, some of us think we're in a dire situation. How many of you have had God tell you you're going to die? Like, I hope none of us. Like, that's a, a tough spot to be in. But he recovered. Think about, think about our situations. The things that we have said have disqualified us. Well, I'm too old. Well, you know, I think God wanted me to do something back when I was in, in, in high school. I, I, I had this calling on my life, and I had to do this or that. I, I've shared this story with you before, but whenever I talk about this, I always think about uh, a friend of mine. Her name was Lynn. Lynn, when she was fresh out of high school, felt a calling towards missions. And she went to Bible school. But when I met her, I didn't even realize she had ever been to Bible school. She got out of Bible school, you know, bought a car, got a loan, needed to work to pay it off, got a job, stayed there, just did that, just kept doing the daily grind and, and just never got around to doing something. And when, when I was in junior high, we were renting a room in our house, and Lynn attended our church, and she rented out that room, and she was in her 50s, I think, early 50s, and had just kind of, like, given up. She was, you know, coasting into towards the finish line was her mindset. And we as a family were visiting Mexico on family vacation, and she, she had, uh, was there. She said, okay, well, she'd come with us. So we went down to Mexico, visited some people. My parents, if you didn't know this, had been missionaries in Mexico when I was younger, so they had friends there, and they, they went down there. And, and while we're on vacation down there, she met some people who were running a school there, and they started talking about the things that they were doing and, and the needs that they had. And, and she realized you know, I could do that. You need help here at this school. I, I could help with that. And then she started thinking about, well, you know, I can go back and then I can come back, but if I, why, why would I go back? She went on vacation and stayed for like over 10 years. Fulfilling the calling that God had put on her life. The Bible says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Those gifts he has put in you are there. there he, doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, 
I can't anymore. No, we have examples of things that God, God has taken. He took Moses when he blew it and ended up totally out of line. He brought him back. Moses still led the people for 40 years. You know, I really wonder what plan A was. What did that look like? I don't know. But plan B was pretty amazing. How many of you agree? Samson. Samson, the Bible says, let's read. We, we know the story, right? So Samson is born. God speaks to his parents and says, look, this man is special. There is an anointing and a calling on his life. Don't let him um, drink alcohol. Don't cut his hair. He's supposed to live like a Levite. And, and God will empower him to become the next leader of Israel. And everybody knows that. And he become, there's an anointing on his life. He, he is supernaturally strong. He's able to rip the gates of the city out. Like, that's like multiple telephone poles just dug into the ground, rips them up. It's the equivalent of carrying a school bus on his back up a mountain. Okay, he is so supernaturally gifted. But he keeps making stupid decisions. He goes to the, the foreign uh, cities nearby, visits prostitutes, falls in love with one of the prostitutes, insists on marrying her. That goes bad. Then, then he does it again. You realize Delilah was like the second foreign prostitute that he tried to marry? And Delilah tricks him and asks him for the secret to his strength. And remember, like, how dumb. Everybody read that story and just thought, how dumb was Samson? Anyway, he gives away the key to his strength, loses it. The Philistines catch him. He, he was meant to deliver them from the Philistines. How many of you would agree he messed up? He messed up. He was called to defeat the Philistines. And instead, he's enslaved by them. Judges 16, 28. They have taken Samson out, brought him to a big area where all of the Philistines are gathered in a big party. And it says, then Samson prayed to the Lord and said, Sovereign Lord, remember me. I find it interesting that he, he references God's sovereignty. Because that's the very thing. That, that people misunderstand and think means that they can't fulfill or that, that everything is automatically fulfilled. And he says, oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached forward to the two pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on his one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. So many people are afraid believing that their situation is beyond repair. Say it with me. I am not beyond redemption. Realize God is, Jesus is in the redemption business. 
there are gifts and callings on your life. I, I would like to look you in the eye. Just pretend I am looking you right in the eye. I can only do it to one person. They looked away. <laughs> look you in the eye, and I'd shake you, and I'd just say, God's purpose for you still remains. Now, is it going to look exactly the same? No. But we've already seen plan B's made it into the Bible, and they were pretty awesome. God will redeem. There is another fear. There's this other idea. There's like a, a, an indecision, a paralysis that comes from the misconception that there is only one way to get life right and an infinite number of ways to get it wrong. I don't know if anybody's ever felt that way. But you look and you think, okay, God's got something for me and everything else isn't it. And now I have to pick the one thing from the sea of every possibility, and it's paralyzing. Can we get this video for a second? We have this lion out hunting, grocery shopping if you're a lion, <laughs> trying to decide, okay, which one do I want? Is it that one? No, nope. that one? Maybe, maybe that one. Which one? Oh, that one? I'm not sure. Maybe too fat, too skinny. That one's got pointy. I don't know. Which one should I go for? All right. I mean, they all look good, but which one is going to be the best? Is that one organic? Wait. Which one? Which one? Oh, I don't know. Boom. He just says, I'll just take whichever. He, he went for it. All right. We're done. I remembered seeing that clip, and it just illustrates what so many of us do. Is we just sit back and we're like, <laughs> for fear that we'll do the wrong thing. When we have this understanding that there is only one way to please God. That's it. I have to pick randomly. Like a while back, we, we put one like free ticket underneath one of the chairs. And we invited people, hey, look under your chair. You know, like, okay, I get one chance. I got to pick the chair that has it. I have no way of knowing. Oh, I didn't sit in the right seat. Like this, we have that, so many people have that idea. But I want to encourage you to, to change that perspective and to recognize that God desires to work with us. Say this with me. God wants to work with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. If you work for someone, only they give input and you just follow their directions. When you work with someone, you both contribute towards creating and achieving a shared goal. The Bible says that we're co-workers. Another translation says co-laborers with him. Now, I'm going to read this verse. This one, I think, should be on a pillow. 
that you sleep on every night. 2 Corinthians 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord move through, to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. In Spanish, it says that he's looking for those to help. You see, we have this idea that that God has this one thing that I've got to do over here, and if I don't find it, if I don't go to that, then I am, I'm just out. And so many people sit there like that lion. I don't know which one is, so I'll just do nothing. Because I wouldn't want to go for the wrong thing, so nothing is better than the wrong thing, Right? The Bible says that God is looking for those that he may strongly support. Psalms 37, 4 through 6 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday. Son. Now, When somebody reads, he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people are like, I desire a Ferrari. So does that mean I'm going to get a Ferrari? I'd like to, to present another way of looking at that. If he gives you the desires of your heart, where did your desires come from? As I was growing up, you know what I wanted to do? What really got me excited was the idea of leaving everybody I knew going to a place where I struggled with the language and going and living there and serving a bunch of people I hadn't met yet. Like that was exciting to me. And I remember praying, God, if if that isn't what you want me to do, tell me, like, I look back and I think, well, I'm glad that that I had that attitude. But you know what? God gave me that desire. We have. God has put in us desire. Look at Moses. Moses, he could have been a stuck-up snob. He could have, like, turned his back on his heritage and just said, you know what? Um, Would I rather be with them who are being beaten and forced to labor all the time, or say over here eating grapes fed to me by, you know, the, oh, whatever. Like, why? Why would he, why would he be drawn to the slaves? Because God put a desire in his heart. Some of us have certain things that just, they just, you have a desire there. It's like, man, I love taking care of kids. Man, I, I love seeing, seeing rights wronged. I love seeing helping people who are in need. The Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. When someone says, well, what, what purpose do I have? What has God called me to do? A big key to that is what do you find in your heart? What are the desires of your heart? God 
The Bible says it's the one who put those there. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. God leads us with his peace. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse. I'm actually going to jump to verse 9. Can we do Acts 16, 9 without showing verses 6, 7, and 8? It says in verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. How many of you would like that? Like, that's, that's kind of where a lot of us think we're going to be. Like, God, lead me. Where's the vision? You know, like that, that lioness. All right, God, put a, put a spotlight on the one I'm supposed to take. Show me. Give me a vision. Make it super-duper, uber, extremely clear. But let's go back and read verse 6. It says, Now, when they had gone to Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So, we got to remember this. When they had gone to Phrygia, like you and I jump in the car. I was in Detroit yesterday. And I got in the car and set the cruise. Two hours later, I showed up over here, three hours later. When they go someplace, they had to hike for like a day. Okay, so this was no minor thing. But it says, and they went, when they had gone through Phrygia to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit said, nope, to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. So what they tried to go, what does that imply? It, they, they were going, right? It, they, they tried. It's like, okay, I'm going to try this next one. Were they like the lioness just sitting there like, no, they were out there going. And they went there, and the Holy Spirit said no, and they said, all right, well, then let's go this way. And they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Again, remember, every time it says they moved, that's like days of hiking. Right? They're going. And then a vision appeared to Paul. They were moving. They were on the, the, the attack, they were like, okay, we're going to find a place to preach. We're going to try to go here. Oh, Holy Spirit, you don't want us to go there? Okay, well, how about over here? No, not that one? Okay, how about over here? Oh, the, a vision. Whoa, thank you, God. Now I'm going to go over here. This is where you want me to be. How many of you ever tried to steer a bicycle that's not moving? It's hard. But once you're going, well, then, then, then you can direct it. He did receive a vision from God, but he was already moving when he received it. I honestly don't think, I think if he had just sat at home saying, you know what, God, not going to move until you say something, he might still be waiting. says, he received a vision. A man from Macedonia stood up and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love it. We concluded that this is what God wanted us to do. 
How did we get to that conclusion? We started out by going what was in front of us. We went towards this place. God said, nope. We went towards this place. He said, nope. We went towards this place. And then we got this vision, and we just kept on going. Like so many of us have been waiting around. We have callings. We have giftings. We have things inside of us. And we're kind of sitting back, and we're like waiting until the vision comes and gives us the whole plan. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked to people who, who say, well, I, I, want to, I want to get involved in the church. I'm like, fantastic. We need people to get involved in the church. So come on over. Saturday morning, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be painting the back room. By the way, this Saturday morning, we're going to be painting the back room. <laughs> there was a group of, and, and they say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't need that. But, you know, do you, like, if you want me to preach on Sunday, you know, or, or, you know, do, do you have a, a, some sort of a department that I could lead? Or do you have this? Or do you want to, to do this? And I'm like, get going. Get started. Well, I'm not against you someday. Maybe you are going to preach someday. But the Bible says he who is faithfully little will be faithful with much. Luke 16.10 says, faithful in little will be faithful in much. Then Acts 6 2. They said, we need help serving tables. Let us find seven people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We've, we've gone over this little section before, right? Where they picked seven people filled with the Holy Spirit to wait tables. To wait tables. And then, the next time we see their names. So, in verse 2 of Acts 6... They choose seven people, they lay hands on them, they pray for them to be table waiters. Verse 8 mentions one of their names again. But interestingly enough, he's not waiting tables anymore. Now it's Stephen and he's doing miracles. Chapter 8, two chapters later, mentions Philip again. Guess what Philip's doing? Waiting tables? No, he's doing miracles. Verse 26 of chapter 8, Philip is being translated, like beam me up Scotty stuff. Like, he's here, boom, he's there. God moves him over. He, he like, baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch like a high-up person in the government of Ethiopia. He baptizes them. Church history says that person went on to, to grow the church in, in Africa. But he started out doing what was in front of him, what was offered, what was available, and he was faithful and little, and he became a steward of much. You have not missed it. Say, I have not missed the opportunity to fulfill God's purpose. I had a conversation with someone at the beginning of service today who says to me, well, you know, I know that I had this calling on my life and, and everything, but I really blew it. Well, they did. So? So? So, so maybe you get to start now and not 10 years ago. Best time to plant an oak tree 25 years ago. Second best time, today. 
Like, yeah. You know, but, but I'm older. So, are you older than Abraham was? Like, Abraham was 80 when God called him. He was 90 when he had his son. Moses, 80 when, when he stepped in to the fulfillment of the call to lead the Jews out of Egypt. God doesn't care how old you are. God looks down, Romans 8, 28, he works for good. Did he cause all of the things that our decisions made? No. But he will work them for good. That is is one of his specialties, is taking a situation that the devil meant for harm and saying, you know what? I'm going to take that testimony and I'm going to take that situation and I'm going to cause them to get audience with people that they would have never reached before. And I'm going to get them over here and I'm going to make a difference with that person. And this is going to be a, a, a big part of what they're going to do going forward because, because I can take that attack on their life and I can turn that into a stepping stone to launch them forward. Say it with me. We have not missed out. And you know what? If you go for it, and, and you have to be like they were in Acts 16, if you jump forward, and then you get halfway through, and God says, you know what? Go this way. Okay. And if he says, go this way, go this way. Okay. But at least you're moving, and you're being steered, and God will lead you to his fulfillment. I remember being in Bible school, and the, the leader of it all, Kenneth Hagin, he's this guy who had accomplished so much, and he got up, and he's talking to a room full of people who are trying to be ministers and, and getting ready to, to go into it. He says, it doesn't matter what you do for the first 10 to 20 years of your ministry anyway. Just get out there and do something. He says, if you're called to be a pastor and you only find an evangelist position, go for it. If you're supposed to be an evangelist and you've only found a pastor, just go. Get out there and do something. God will get you where he needs you to be as long as you're moving. Let's not be that, that lion that's just... Because, you know, how long can you stay excited standing still? Not very. Pretty soon, that same waiting starts to look different. And the, you know, the wildebeest are running by, and you're just... Pretty soon we think, well, I, I can't. But we can. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is stirring in people right now, speaking to their hearts, reminding them of what you have said to them in the past, of the desires that you have placed in their heart, Lord, reminding them of the opportunities that are in front of them that they have perhaps ignored for so long they forgot they're even there. Lord, I ask that you would quicken us to see and recognize the opportunities. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be humble and recognize that we don't have to start at the stop, top. In fact, you, your word says that those of us who are faithful with little will be given much. Lord, so we just pray that you would give us wisdom to step forward into the, the, the next steps that are before each and every one of us, Lord. I ask that trajectories of lives would be adjusted today, that people would be inspired to fulfill the callings that you have put on their lives. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen.
If you're here today and you know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God and you're on your way to heaven, I want you to raise your hand. The Bible says, know that you have salvation. If you're here, you're looking around, maybe you're watching online and you see that and you're like, well, how do they, how do they know? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your mouth or believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. You can know because you did what God said. You chose to accept his forgiveness, to profess your belief, and accept that. It's that simple. Then you walk it out. Yeah. But you can know. With every eye closed here, if you want to know where you stand with God, whether that's because you've never made a decision or, or you're, you're confused because you, you've walked so far away, but you know you want to come back. I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. If there's anybody watching online, it goes for you too. Raise that hand. We're going to pray together. Say, dear God, I believe you sent your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead, victorious over death and the devil. I choose to give you my life. I choose to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you, you prayed that prayer, you want, you know, come on forward. We've got a gift for you. If you're online, let us know. Send us a direct message. Send, put us a comment right there under the video you're watching, and we will send you a link to that very same booklet. Um, awesome. 